Hey, AGs, are you ready to add a touch of luxury to your home, just like the Real Housewives? BCC Villa Rosa. Introducing Home Threads, where style meets comfort for the ultimate glam experience. Picture this. Chic furniture, one could even say chic c'est la vie, that mirrors the elegance of your favorite housewives' mansions. With exclusive designer collections and a curated selection, HomeThreads.com has everything you need to make your space as fabulous as the housewives themselves and always at the best value. Unlike Joe Gorka's initial attempts at windows, perhaps. Now, I have to tell you, I know that Padma is no longer on Top Chef, and may her memory be a blessing, but nothing has made me feel better prepared to host future seasons and potentially even iterations of Top Chef Upper East Side Edition than the Henkel's clad 10-piece stainless steel cookware set in silver that I got along with a two-piece stainless steel ceramic nonstick fry set from Zwilling thanks to Home Threads. It makes me feel like I am finally ready to be a top chef one egg over easy at a time. They're gorgeous. They look great in the apartment. For someone like me who lives in New York City which with a very small space, what I have in my kitchen is important because guests who come to visit me see it. And I'm so, so thankful to have discovered Home Threads because now I feel fully prepared to make eggs a la Francais. Head over to HomeThreads.com today and live your best Real Housewives life. Go to HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls and get a code for 15% off your first order. Again, that's HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls for a 15% off code off your first order. HomeThreads, love where you live. Unlike Jackson Pollock, I always connect the dots. I may not be a lawyer, but I will lay down the law. (gasps) Oh, yes. I love a legal tagline. Inspired by Miss Phaedra Parks. Oh, okay. Well, there are other inspirations we can pull from than Phaedra, than phony Feifei. But you guys... Here's an inspiration for all of us on Andy's Girls episode 266-ish. I am so excited for a return guest, one of my faves who I have not connected with about all things Bravo in a minute, and there is a lot that has happened in the interrupt that we need to discuss. You know him as a phenomenal writer, as a host of the absolutely perfect podcast, Shut Up Evan, of which season three we have premiering next month in December, and as I like to refer to him, the Doris Kearns Goodwin of Bravo. Welcome back to Andy's Girls, Evan Ross Katz. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Long time listener sometimes guest happy to be here <laughs> happy to have you you know I've been like stalking you oh god for a minute. <laughs> I feel like you have I mean you've always been obviously absolutely fabulous but I feel like you've kind of blown up a little bit maybe like all of the all of the DMs that you post from like celebrities, I just want you to ask Channing Tatum about Potomac and BH. Like it's just mm. been absolutely marvelous. marvelous. You know, 
to see your star shine bright. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like, and this is not really a testament to me so much as people's boredom. I feel like I just (laughs) message celebrities a lot. And so I feel like if you shoot your shot so many times, you're bound Mm. to get some returns. So I think it is less that like I'm blowing up or I'm so fabulous so much as like I I take a lot of time that could or perhaps should be spent doing, you know, more important things and just jam with celebrities. And sometimes uh, you get into conversations that are fun. I will say Sarah Paulson and I right now have been uh, voice messaging back and forth about Salt Lake City. Mm, What is she thinking? What is she? Is she obviously a Meredith stan, I would say, right? No. (gasps) No. No. She's not a stan. Can I play you a little bit of one? Uh, yeah. Is that okay with Sarah? I mean, it's like, yes, this is all. It's fine. Okay, great. Sarah, if you're listening, which you're definitely not. Cut to my like cease and desist. Um, okay, wait. Um, Sarah, if you're listening, I'd love for you to come on Andy's Girls. Um, she's, well, none of them have good style. Just none of them. Who's the only housewife with good style? Who is it? Who's the one housewife with good style? Who is it? The, the dog's alive, as evidenced by the sound of Anywho, the, the, to answer the question that she posited, uh, the answer is Sutton Strack. Okay. Wow. You know, I hate to bring up trigger words. I do have to say I love that redshift that she wore to Kyle's. And I know the designer, Dolce, not ideal, but she looked great. Everyone was like making fun of it. I thought she looks fabulous. I thought she looked fabulous. Wholeheartedly concur. And at the end of the day, you know, the expression, call a spade a spade. She looked fab. So do we love the designer? Do we support the designer? No. Mm. But to act as though someone that I don't like for personal reasons, to act like I'm going to like remove my taste level because I cannot see, you know, divide and conquer. Uh, yeah, she looked fab. The only thing, honestly, that she wore this season that I truly did not understand, and I feel like there's a difference between not understanding something and being like, okay, I may not get it, but I think it looks great. This is one of those things where it's more the former than the latter was the, like, bow tie moment. I just didn't get – I love whimsy. Die for whimsy. I just honestly didn't totally understand Mm. it on her. Fair enough. I I think for me, the barometer these days when it comes to housewives with fashion is, is it memorable is more the question I ask than like, does it look good? And I think with Sutton, what's so great is because the outfits are so specific and then like certain scenes will take place and you'll be like, oh, I remember that scene. That was the scene that took place in Kyle's living room with Sutton wearing the Dolce & Gabbana Altimoda. Mm. It's like, I feel like it's part of sort of like... um, you need sort of like, uh, you know, things on the map that help you to find your way, you know, and especially as, you know, we're, you know, we're gearing up for season 15 of OC. Like the legacy is getting to the point where like to be a historian, it's <clears throat> you got to just like the not the breadth of knowledge is so huge. So I, I appreciate Sutton for kind of giving us these landmarks with which to like remember important events. Mm. And what are your thoughts on the trailer for Orange County? Are you planning to watch? Where do you find yourself as a Bravo-holic? Like, what's your current state of mind? 
So you and I talked at one point a long time ago, and I think I said that, like, I'm always watching an old housewife at any given time, like multiple seasons. Mm. So like right now, for instance, mm-hmm. like I'm doing Jersey season four and then OC, oh I worked my way up. Right now I'm in season nine. So I'm soon okay. to meet Megan King Edmonds. Um, mm. But in my OC rewatch, I was like reminded of like how good the show was before it got bad. And which really, yeah. I think the... Kelly Dodd really is the turning point, as is highlighted in Dave Quinn's fabulous book. Um, but so I, I really kind of my perception, like my souring on OC sort of shifted once I remembered the good old days. Mm. But I will say the trailer didn't quite do it for me. Of course, I am ready to be like, you know, you know, to be, you know, made to feel like that was my own you know, harsh judgment and don't judge a show by its trailer. But I feel like what was necessary to really get us back on track with OC was we needed two returnees. And I just feel like if it was Heather and Tamara together, I would be Mm. super duper excited. I just don't think Heather is enough at this point. And I think she is such a star to this cast of, and I know you love Shannon. You know I love Shannon, but it's but, complicated. You know I love Shannon, but I get it. I yeah. love Shannon, but I'm a, I'm a person in this world. I get also, it. I the idea that like Heather and Shannon are the two anchor wives at this point, again, it's like their friendship is not, it, they're colleagues. So it's like at least with when Bethany came back, she was amongst several colleagues, like former colleagues, mm-hmm. and then had the friendship build with Carol and like she found her way back in. So I guess the question becomes, can Heather form organic friendships? I don't see that happening with Emily. Um, I know that they're feeding us the Gina-Heather plot. Yeah. But seeing Heather eat a hot dog from a New York City vendor is troubling. That's the OC version of this is a crisis. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a little bit. I mean, the Tamara thing, I think she isn't she coming back in some capacity. I forget. I really don't pay attention to Orange County like stuff because Kelly kind of ruined it a little bit. So I I kind of block it out. But I am going to watch this season. I thought Tamara was coming back. When did you like fall off? Because I know you didn't watch season 14. Last season. I just didn't. That's the only one I've seen every other season. You're in the Brooks era right now, right? With nine. I'm pre-cancer though. I've watched that several times. Oh, but the buildup is so good. Honestly, the that is it's what is it like eight through ten, maybe eight through maybe eleven. I want to say I'm bad with numbers. I mean, yeah, I believe he comes in around eight, and like ten is when cancer begins, and the Megan King, and yeah, yeah, it's like one of those things where I don't know that it's like golden age television, Mm. but it's certainly historical document television, and it's. It's important. It's it's honestly important. I don't know when Orange County will be that important again, but maybe we're building our way back to something. Yeah, and what I'll be eager to see is like, because we're in such a strong moment right now between this season of Potomac and then Beverly Hills and Salt Lake, what's interesting is like around the corner, we have Jersey, which I I don't believe has the capability to deliver. Um, and then we have OC, which I feel similarly about. And then we'll have Miami. We'll see what happens. But I'm curious if, like, we had so three of the strongest shows, if not the strongest, out right now. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and, like, you know, up at bat next makes me a little bit worried about the score at the end of the game. My God. Sports. Oh, God. We're going to disregard. I don't know. I don't know. 
wait, uh, hold on. Did you just strike out? Oh, look at me with the baseball, whatever. Jersey, what the fuck? Why don't you think it's going to be great? I guess I don't know. So first of all, whenever one of the Jersey women goes and watch What Happens Live and talks about mm-hmm. how amazing the season is going to be, and Teresa yeah. was on recently and was like, there's going to be a fight that's bigger than the table flip. And I'm like, okay, okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> I just feel like when I start to see them hype up the season, I know mm-hmm. that they've got nothing. And I've also just heard from a source that there's just not a ton going on it's like at this point <clears throat> excuse me the dynamics in, in uh, Jersey are super settled right it's like everyone knows where they stand with everybody I feel like they are the most colleague-esque of all of the housewives in what way well I just don't feel like they like for instance like Jennifer is not hanging out with um Jackie off the show like there's just like that's their colleagues I just don't it's like and I don't think that like Margaret and Teresa are hanging out outside of the show but those are the two warring factions right wouldn't it be more um appropriate in the context to say like is jennifer hanging out with melissa maybe or Teresa? fair totally fair yeah i guess i just feel like i'm not sure jackie and jackie but like one of the big things right now that's sort of and and potomac is an outlier here which actually showcases potomac's excellence but with like Beverly Hills and Salt Lake City, you have like a driving force throughout for the season, right? With Beverly Hills, Erica, with Salt Lake City, Jen. With Jersey right now, it's like I'm not really sure where, like, what is going to be the overarching plot of this season, and how are we like moving moving the the, the needle forward on Jersey now? Potomac, they didn't need that, and we still got one of the best seasons, if not the best season, of the show. But I think that the difference is Potomac is a cast of all stars. And I just Mm -hmm. don't think, I'll say this. I don't think a lot of the Jersey women can do solo scenes and captivate me the way that like you put Karen Huger in a bathtub, I'm in. You know what I mean? (laughs) You put like outside of Dolores, who I think can really hold her own, but like Jackie Goldschneider, all due respect, lovely woman. I'm not sure I'm like, you know, grab, you know, I to quote Dan from Come Through Queen. I feel like I'm grabbing a book for a lot of the uh, scenes on Jersey. Mm, I mean, I have to say, Karen Huger talking about candles, I could watch her talk about a seven wick candle or whatever, whomever, three, six, ten, one, half of a third. It's fascinating. It is fascinating. She is remarkable. She's just truly so dynamic, and it's both earnest and it's also high camp high drag um a a fascinating creature one of the best of all time and so you know it's been a great season and the reunion is happening and I think I'm in the minority on this you know I just haven't loved it the the reunion's been kind of a tough watch for me Mm, it's one of those things that I yeah I usually watch every episode of everything 600 times and this one I've literally watched a single time so I just am kind of really excited for it to be done wow Sarah I know and you know what it's been it's the it's the Candace makes me kind of uncomfortable she takes the fun out of it it's one of those things where I just don't know 
it's unfortunate because it's like such a fun cast and the, there is like significant drama going on and they've had a great season but it's just hard because it's like we're watching this person we're watching an entire cast tell someone that what she's doing isn't great and we're watching her pretend that they're lying and that's odd to me it's just weird well it's interesting too I feel similarly but then I was listening to Las Culturistas and it's like Bowen mm. and Matt love Candace <clears throat> I know they love Stan Candace and <clears throat> Stan Wendy who I am not so hot on Wendy at the moment so yeah. <clears throat> my god um so yeah it's fascinating when you feel a certain way but this is the great thing about having this podcast cinematic universe whereas like I sort of go back and then I you know, think about my own feelings based off of other people whose opinions I respect that feel differently than me. So while I am, I'm not a Candace fan, I'm super intrigued at the fact that Matt and Bowen, whose tastes I uphold, love her, which Mm -hmm. makes me reconsider my own feelings about Candace. But I do think that their love, I mean, this is really a question for them, but I do think that their love has like a wink and a smile. Yeah. It's like a little trollish. Candace. Yeah, like they've they've nominated her for the the Last Culturista Awards and like Die for Drive Back and like all of this stuff. But they have referenced. I haven't listened to the most recent episode yet because I've been saving it. But I I do think that they 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 do understand. It's not it's a standum that comes with a wink and a smile. I think that they have sort of mentioned as much that like oh you know I wish we had waited a week kind of stuff that she's problematic she's a problematic housewife in a way that is different from others where it's less about do I agree with her behavior and more about it's wild that this person refuses to understand how deeply upsetting and painful her choices have become you know absolutely absolutely I think for me because I've had a different experience of the reunion. I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's a little less That's structured um, mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. than which is than what is standard. But I feel like that Karen Giselle moment was so mm. powerful. Oh my god! I think I and cried. I I, 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 uh, uh, and I, I was teary. Yeah, I was teary. I cried on the inside. I cried. I cried inside. every time I rewatched it because it's. I had to keep mm. rewatching it. There's just something. I've been thinking a lot about this. There's a couple things in particular that Giselle says that I feel like are very enlightened and speak to Giselle's emotional intelligence. When she says, she points out to Karen and says, you didn't have to do that, but you did. I feel like for someone to look at another person's actions as not just what they did, but what they could have done and didn't. I I, get it's just, it's so evolved to me. I've always really liked Giselle, but I thought that was a moment in which I was like, Giselle really doesn't get her due. Because, you know, we have a lot of conversations about whether or not she's good on Housewives. I love her, but that's a different conversation. But, like, but just as a human being, I just have so much respect for Giselle. And I, I appreciated her letting that wall down and showing something that very few women on these shows care about each other with the depth of feeling of these two. And it was so nice to see it, a a genuine moment with no shade, um, with no undertones, with no wink in the eye, with no cut to a confessional that undercuts it. I I just, I was so moved by that moment. And it was like, 
if you were to be like, oh, is Housewives all, you know, because people that don't watch it sometimes, like, oh, are they all throwing drinks and flipping tables? It's like, mm, no. And here's a prime moment of like something that I think transcended the media. And credit to both of them. Oh my God. And then when Karen points her finger and says, don't make me cry, it's like, oh I my could God. cry. Can't. My God. Yeah. Really, 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 really powerful. Go Giselle, go Karen. And I also feel like these are two women who are willing to say they know when to cross the line and they know not to. They know that a line exists. It's the idea that there are no lines because there are no boundaries. And if boundaries are crossed, it is uh, according to one's skill is asinine to me. And it's so helpful that these women are like, listen, love us or hate us we do respect each other and that respect precedes the show and it'll continue following the show. I really believe that regardless of what happens. There's no way like, you know, Karen with this whole plot about thinking that Giselle said that she wanted like Ray to drop dead. Giselle, uh, Karen doesn't actually believe that that was the case with Giselle and Giselle recognizes that Karen, what, what Karen is doing and is willing to do the plot with her like there's a lot of it's a high wire act going on with these two and I don't think they're given enough credit in the sense that like it's batshit crazy I mean the Sing Sing comment at that first huge fight at the beginning of the season it's like these crazy sort of like grenades are thrown but it's a dance and they're both in it together and it's almost as though Karen is saying, Giselle, I'm about to lob a grenade and I'm going to shoot it down the field to the left. So I need you to hop to the right so that I can throw my grenade. But I don't want you to get hit, girl. Like, I, I really there's just they're so high level. They deserve a lot of credit. And I just thought it was a fabulous, fabulous moment. And I've always been a Karen Stan, but always been sort of like, you know, liked Giselle. But in that moment, mm. I was like, these two are they're just top tier. They are top tier. And they are, I was gonna say one and the same. They're not. They both have like, their very separate journeys on the show, but like stronger together. Icons. And I do have to say, there is the idea of like respecting your villains, which some people trace to Giselle. I just don't believe that she is one. I no. really don't. I don't see it. People have a lot of passionate dislike for her that I don't entirely understand. I just don't know that I see it. No, she's super duper likable. And I just yes. love, I like, you know, there was a comment that someone made about like Giselle using, I think it was, maybe it was not during the reunion about Giselle using her kids for plot or something. And I was like, that's so disrespectful mm -hmm. because she's not using her kids for plot. She's being real and these are her kids and she cares about her kids so much. And she's such a good mother. The idea, like the accusations that people like lob at her sometimes, I'm just like, Giselle's keeping it real and I think the issue that some people have is that they feel like in some senses especially when it comes to the Jamal stuff she's not keeping it real enough but I would like to believe that her reason for not keeping it real is out of preservation for her kid for kids I was gonna say kids and children at the same time the church um her kids her children because at the end of the day that's their father and I think as we know those girls do not feel so favorably about their father and I don't think Giselle wants to taint that anymore and so I think she's just careful about throwing the man under the bus that is ultimately going to be tethered to her life for the rest of her life no matter what that's such an interesting point I don't know that I thought about it through that lens I really don't that actually is so helpful because I think the conversation in my head that I've had with myself several personalities <laughs> is a conversation of like did she is she lying was the 
the the sequel to their relationship the thing that we just saw play out was that real and it's not necessarily a question of was it real it's really a question of how is she constructing this in order to actually protect her kids which means that the the ways that she's un, uh, unpacking it and and talking about it may seem false but it's intentionally so it's not because of you know some sort of plot for the show it's really about you know protecting those kiddos and their idea of their father whatever's left again it's the high wire act of these women and Mm -hmm. not for nothing jamal bryant is a really really huge figure not just in atlanta like in the church and so you know not for nothing um jamal spoke at greg leeks's funeral like jamal is a big deal much bigger than housewives so it's not your average sort of like oh this is a housewives ex-husband one could easily argue that Jamal Bryant, I mean, who knows what fame is and how one judges it, but one could argue that Jamal Bryant is a lot more famous than Giselle. It's like, this is a man who has his own public identity that he and perhaps others seek to preserve. And so it's not the same thing as just throwing the deadbeat ex-husband under the rug on the show as we've seen play out before, because Jamal Bryant has a vested interest in his public image, and that can be tainted by his ex-wife. And so my sense was that there was sort of like some sort of, not reconciliation, but like agreement on last season in terms of like, let's sort of like, what's it called when two sides decide to come together? A coup d'etat? No. No? A coup d'etat is like when you are able to seek power like okay yeah you know through it's like Uh, there's a term uh, for like a temporary reconciliation amongst two two sides in a war i can't remember what it is but anyway i think it was like an agreement to sort of like you know lay down our swords but i think like you're sort of insinuating like did they were they back together that much i'm not so sure but i don't know i think there's a lot that giselle contends with that she can't talk about on the show or chooses not to that people get mad at her about but I don't really hold that against her because I think she brings it in so many other senses. I mean, that's also such a fascinating view that once again, I didn't consider. It's like the theme of this episode, which is the difference between a zoom in and a zoom out. When I think of Jamal Bryant, I'm very zoomed in. I'm very connected to what we know of him through what Giselle has told us. And the zoom out is like, because I honestly do think of him as like a little bit of a joke. And the zoom out is like, he's actually not outside of housewives. I know that he has a big job and is, you know, uh, the, the, the face, the voice of a very big church and like got that position. But I don't really think a lot about his reputation outside of the world of housewives because it wasn't one that I was aware of. I wouldn't know of Jamal Bryan, Aside from the fact that he's Giselle's on and off ex. And it's something to think about when you think about not just like not the value of of who he is and what he is, but the potential jeopardy that would happen not only for their family structure, but otherwise. But that doesn't he bring that on himself? One could say. One could easily say. It reminds me a little bit of like PK and Beverly Hills where it's like we all as Housewives viewers have this impression of PK, but there are people like in the mute. I mean, I think there are people in the music industry that like yeah. have meetings with PK and are like making deals and like 
Or, 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 I mean, Maurizio, yes, but I think people respect Maurizio more. But, like, there are, are house husbands who are sort of given the sort of, like, wonky-donkey edit who actually in their real lives go out in the world and are taken very seriously by lots of people. And I think Jamal is a great example of, like, he definitely is not getting a quote-unquote good edit on The Real Housewives of Potomac, but in his church, I imagine, he is highly, highly respected, and they probably look at... Um, his ex-wife's little show and like sort of look down on her. So who knows? But like ultimately we've spent 10 minutes talking about Giselle Bryant and like that's how it should be. That's what the world needs. Uh, I completely agree. And it's an interesting point that you're bringing up when it comes to how the world sees a person, because I think a lot of that has been the idea of that has been the focus of speculation around Dr. Wendy because there's a conversation of what the cast has said of the ways that she has changed and maybe some fumbling around the ways that she has changed and how that's been influenced about rumors around Eddie that maybe they heard on a single blog or whatever and maybe that's influenced how she's changed her body and however else but there is also a question that I think a lot of people are confused by or facing which is Dr. Wendy was a very specific person her first season. We saw a lot of the doctor. And this season, we've seen a lot of this personality where there hasn't been as much of attention against the professional way that we have viewed Wendy before. And which one is the one that we're supposed to really unpack? You know, there's like a little bit of a confusion there that I feel when I see and watch her now. Totally. And I always understood where Robin was coming from at every moment in saying that I felt like Wendy, excuse me, Wendy was picking up on a judgment from particularly from Robin and Giselle when as Robin articulated at one of those dinners, she said, we're not saying that you're acting like poorly or that, or, or making any comments about, why you had your surgery or what's going on in your marriage. We're saying that the the you that we met last year at this time is very different than the you that, that is being presented now. And it's not a judgment of any kind so much as just a presentation of facts or, or a presentation of personal perception. So I feel like the Wendy picked up on a lot of things that I think said more about Wendy than they did about mm-hmm. Robin and Giselle in particular. Now, that's not to say everyone in the group was not without judgment when it came to the changes in Wendy, but I felt particularly with Robin, I did it. I feel like Wendy really, because Wendy really went after Robin this season. I mean, playing back that footage, I was like, wow, Wendy really, to quote Alphaba, or no, Glinda from Wicked uh, flew off the handle. Um, and I'm not sure Robin really deserved that, given that I don't think Robin was ever intending to go at Wendy. And so I, I don't think we're going to get this in part three of the reunion, but that's a friendship that like, I feel like we're stalled on and it's unfortunate because I don't think that they need to like, I'm not really sure the basis of this true disdain that Wendy has for Robin. I mean, I assume it's because she sees Robin as an extension of Giselle and maybe someone easier to access than Giselle Mm. who might be somewhat inaccessible by choice, by nature. 
Right. And I also just, it's so tough watching everybody go after each other when it comes to their relationships with men. And I think that's a big Mm -hmm. thing on this cast in particular, but it's like you watch Wendy making the comments about, well, Giselle can't get a man or Robin can't, you know, walk down the aisle. And I feel like it, those comments cut so deep. um, And I really... What I worry about going into Potomac season seven, which, by the way, I'm so excited that like the words Potomac season seven like can be out in the world. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I worry about for Wendy is kind of what happened to Alexis Bellino on OC Housewives, where once her and Gretchen fractured their friendship, mm-hmm. Alexis didn't really have anyone to do scenes with in her last season. That's why she's super not present. And so for Wendy, I know she has this alliance with Candace, but part of it feels like an alliance by convenience. And so with yeah. Wendy, it's like, she's not good with Robin. She's not good just with Giselle. I don't really think her and Ashley have a substantive friendship. Her and Mia are not good. And so Wendy's sort of like, there's so many enemies for her right now that I think if we don't get to some sort of reconciliation in part three of this reunion, or part four, um, then I don't really know where the path uh, leads to from here. And I also feel like there's a difference in the ways, and this gets into like some areas of respectability politics, um, but there's a difference in the ways that the women treated Monique's behavior last season and how they are trying to talk to Candace now in the sense that there was almost like an intervention moment in part two where the women were saying, essentially, listen, listen to us. What we're telling you is that you're crossing a line that you don't need to cross and you need to take responsibility. Even in that moment during like a break or whatever, when Giselle was saying to Candace, like, can you take responsibility for a single thing? This will help you as if to say, it will help you in your growth, but genuinely, most importantly, for the purposes of why we're here today, it will help you in the reunion and with the audience if you just understand or even maybe perform the act of understanding what is going on. And the oddity with watching part two and watching the decisions, the strategic decisions that Wendy is making is that these women are talking to Candace with more care and understanding than I think Wendy has because it does feel strategic. Her relationship with Candace does feel strategic. The ways that she was defending Candace Uh, in order to, I mean, come at Giselle was odd to me. It just, it didn't reflect well on Wendy. And I just thought, like, if all of these willing women, like, Karen doesn't have a vested interest, I don't think, in telling Candace that she's going too far. The ways that Wendy refuses to do that because of her vendetta against, I guess, Robin and Giselle, it's just not a good look. I Mm. don't, it brings, this dynamic brings Dr. Wendy down. It just does. I don't know how else to think about it. It's It's an unfortunate move. Maybe it was the only one she felt she had through the choices that were made, but it doesn't mean it reflects well on her and her future. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, there's so much going on with these women and I think that I tend to enjoy Potomac the most when it's centered around the OGs I think the Candace Mm. stuff tends to get complicated very quickly because I think Candace's behavior can often be questionable but I also feel like the fandom can go really hard in on Candace in a way Mm. that I think is 
unproductive. Um, and, and it's not, I was going to, I don't use the word unearned, but it's just a matter of like, I think that there is, um, misogyny. I think there's racism. I think there's a lot of ways in which the fandom picks and chooses who they go after because it's like, for instance, Vicky or Ramona, the battle cry of like, get them off the show did not begin until over a decade into their run. But like these women were always who they were, but they were given a pass for years and years and years and years and years until it sort of became in vogue to be like, oh, Ramona is trash, oh, Vicky is trash. But, like, we got Vicky with the van. I think that's season one if or season two of OC. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. these women were always who they were. So it's just interesting the ways in which I feel like people really go out of their way uh, to put someone like Candace down but allow other women on other franchises to just go about scot-free. But I think also that has to do with the timing of it. Candace Mm. didn't have the benefit of starting a decade ago. If she did, I do think Mm. that the audience perception would be different. She just is unlucky to have, you know, developed a skill set in time that we are seeing in the year of our Lord and Savior, Sutton Strack 2021. Mm. Like it's it just so happens to be that there is a reckoning going on and it's just unlucky for her that the reckoning happened at a point in time where she is really celebrating and continuing to celebrate uh you know, the weaponization of her co-star's bodies. It's just, that's just the way it is. It's, had she done this five years ago, I don't actually think that she would be uh, called out as much as she is. That's but, interesting. But that's the reality of this. And I I wonder, how do you think, wait, there was a phrase that you just used when you were talking about the audience perception or the when audience just... Okay. <laughs> I mean, popular. Um, <laughs> when it comes to Candace, how do you think the audience is being unfair to her? How do you think that they're going too far? I'm sure that you're right in many ways. I think it's just that. So I'm really, really into like the the Reddit of it all when it comes to Potomac, just because my boyfriend's mm-hmm. really into Reddit in general, which I, I was always sort of like someone that experienced Housewives on Twitter. I never like went into the Reddit verse, which by the way, like yeah. Reddit for Housewives is amazing if you know how to navigate it, which I'm not saying I do, but thankfully I have him. And I just feel like people really go out of their way to go after her. But devil's advocate to my own point, it's like, really, what are you going to go after with so many? Like, for instance, like a Karen or it's like with Robin, the biggest crime against Robin is that she's boring. Like, um, but I do feel like, you know, for instance, like Mia has done some questionable things this season. Ashley had a not so great moment at this reunion when speaking about colorism. And so I don't see the similar attacks going uh, across the board for other women uh, on this show specifically. I feel like there's a sort of concerted effort. And also, too, with Candace's career, I feel like there's a huge effort uh, to diminish Candace's professional life outside the show when she's doing the same thing that so many other housewives before her have done. And one could easily argue more successfully in that, like, you know, she's not a one off. She's making an album. She's doing performances on the Kelly Clarkson show. She's out there trying to do something with this platform. Um, and I think people demean that more than they do other women who have done the same, who have gone on the same trajectory and with, you know, way less talent. 
Um, I hear you on a lot of this, but I do have to say how much of that is Candace's responsibility. Like how much of that is Candace's fault? She makes mm. herself into this self-proclaimed victim who plays no part in the resulting, the what happens as a result of her behavior, which she says not only does she not do differently, but she's also better at than anyone else. Like if you... I mean, she's choosing a certain path, which is to say that she's not responsible, but she did also she is also maintaining this skill set unlike anyone else. But if anything bad happens as a result of that, if it's provocative in a way that crosses a line that has nothing to do with her, she just so happens to be in the room having set the table that then maybe You're gets absolutely over, right. You know? You're absolutely right. Yeah. And I think my question with Candace is sort of like, what is the tactic of communication that would get through to her? Because you know, you had the moment with Monique last season, obviously, which was kind of like, you know, like the t tough love, if you will. Maybe too tough, but tough love didn't work. Then you've had sort of like conversations with Karen, where Karen tried to take on more of the motherly role with her and sort of like say, you know, as your elder, here's how I see it. That hasn't seemed to work. Then you have Ashley, who's kind of like on a very was on a very similar life trajectory to her. They're similar in age. They're, you know, both young, beautiful women, newly married. Um they haven't been able to find a uh, common ground or, or like, you know, Ashley's method of communication has not worked for Candace. And so I kind of just wonder how, if someone feels a certain way about something Candace has done or is doing, how best could they approach someone like Candace and actually have the information absorbed? And I think what you're getting at is like, we have yet to see Candace be told something about herself by another and for her to process that information and say, I'm going to maybe change my tactic of how I communicate going forward as a result of hearing this critique, which is not coming out of malice, but actually might be coming out of love. There is no, there is no one and no way that can get through to her. And I heard from an AG, I think I re referenced this on the last episode and I'm sorry, I forget uh, uh, your name, but you, I think you know who you are if you're listening, um, who essentially said, you know, it's, it's disappointing that these women weren't able to get through to Candace it, it felt like they gave up and my reaction to that was like I would have done the exact same thing you cannot force someone to understand that her behavior has gone too far that she's crossing the line there is no way to force someone to take responsibility even if they're uh, even if they're unwilling to do it in a performative way like Ramona the you know <sighs> apologizer where she doesn't mean it she says it over and over again it's a joke but at least it's a thing that exists with Candace she is unwilling to understand it she only is willing to see her behavior through the lens of as a sign of intelligence and excellence. And you won't take that away from her. She won't allow you to take away the thing that she thinks makes her most powerful and unique. And she's right on both parts. It just so happens that the delivery of it, the intent of it is so like God awful wrong but there's no one, there's no way to get through to her. I thought Andy on the Beverly Hills reunion in Potomac, I thought he's done an A plus job, honestly. And the way that he said to her, how is this working out for you mm. was so fucking smart. And there's no, to me, no better way to say it than that. And she refuses to understand. So it's not going to change. So it leaves some people, including myself, 
feeling exhausted where I'm not able to really celebrate this because so much of it is like these powerful, strong, amazing women saying to her, this thing is the thing and her refusing to see it. It's exhausting. Mm. And it was a connective thread through all of part two. Yeah. It also makes me think, you know, you said she's not understanding what Andy's saying. I would go as far as to say, I don't even think she's hearing it. Like, I think it's actually, it's like, oh, yeah. it's even deeper oh, than totally. the understanding. I think it's, she's so closed she off. She can't process it. Yeah. So, but, okay. The, but like the one thing I would leave it at with Candace is, I'm just saying the television viewer in me is, wants to believe that if we keep working at it with Candace, we will make headway. I'm not saying I have any reason Based to think that. I guess I'm just what? saying that there's... a person, that's not enough. I'm saying that there's two kinds of women on the show for me. One, Sometimes when I don't like the character, excuse me, the real person, I'm like, get them off the screen. I'm not watching that, which is my case with Kelly Dodd. And in the mm-hmm. case of a Candace, I'm just telling you, inside of me, I am not at a... I'm at a place where I want to continue down this journey with Candace. I'm not defending her character. I'm telling you just instinctively, I have more in me, more of a desire to see more from Candace and hope, I remain hopeful, despite not having many indicators, that she can change. Here's the difference, is that I don't want her fired from the show. This isn't a Kelly Dodd situation where I'm like, this is, I'm no longer able to watch, I'm not able to watch the upcoming season because I'm going to be so horrified. I'm so horrified at this person continuing to be a personality and whatever and promoted. I don't feel that about Candace. I think Candace should say, I have no reason to me personally to say she no longer should exist on Potomac. It's not like I won't watch this stuff. But it does mean with the reunion, the thing that I love, there are people who are like, eh, reunions, I fucking love a reunion. There are moments in great seasons where I'm like, I cannot wait for the reunion, which is really like sometimes often the housewives parade. But with Candace, it's like, I have no hope that anything is going to change. And so I'm tired. I get tired watching her because I there's no reason. She's giving no indication. She's actually giving indications that she's going to get worse. And it's just frustrating because I do think she's a great personality. I do think she's an example of respecting your villains in some ways. I think she can be really fun in other ways. It just so happens that she doesn't want to listen to this and it's a harm to herself. She's this is a version of housewife self-harm. Honestly, mm. it is. Listen, I am I am validating everything you just said. The key difference between you and I on this one and you just said, yeah. you said I do not have hope and I Evan do have hope, but neither neither of us or why. right or wrong in that. Yeah. It's just two different perspectives, but I, we are aligned in what we think of Candace and her yeah. behavior. We are totally aligned. It's just one is hope hopeful and one is hopeless. Hopeless sounds so <laughs> sounds so bad. Not hopeless, <laughs> but like one has more hope, one has less hope than the other about this, but the joy of it all is we're going to get more on season seven and, and you and I will come back and we'll reconvene on it and we'll say, okay, where do we land with this? That's the fun of it all, right? It is. And it's also one of those things where we don't know what's going to happen. Obviously it's like the unknowable. And yet there are franchises where things are going on where at least we have the benefit, I guess, of knowing a lot of having a lot of information, at yes. least in a way that feels different and somewhat I don't even iconic I don't know that's not the right use of the phrase in that context but or the use of that word term in that context but like look at what's happening with Salt Lake City where Mm -hmm. 
who really cares what the future holds with some of these women, one or two in particular, because it's just seemingly remarkable television. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like different and fascinating. And I don't know if we can have a conversation of like, is it one of the best? Because I feel like that's slightly disingenuous. Or maybe it's just not here or there. It just so happens to be fascinating to know the information that we that we've already had to have read all that we had about like the gen arrest and know what's coming and be so consistently surprised. Yeah, I mean, Salt Lake City reminds me of like Beverly Hills seasons one and two in that Mm. there's such a strong ensemble particularly the last couple weeks because i have to say we got a lot of sleeper episodes of salt lake city Mm -hmm. like we one thing to beverly hills's credit about this last season was like we were in it from the jump like there was plot 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 and with salt lake city it's like we've been like slowly hitting the gas for some time and also to your point i hate superlatives when it comes to how or anything really but especially with housewives Mm. so like best ever who knows it's like new york season three exists for a reason but i think that what's interesting about this dynamic of the six women plus jenny um is that i think that there's everyone is sort of bringing something to the table here and i think that initially when we heard about the jen shaw arrest we were like okay this is going to be uh, focused on Jen Shaw. But really, as we're learning, it's like Lisa and Meredith are like very connected to this, all of this. And then mm-hmm. Le- and then all the stuff going on with like Mary. And like there's just all these tentacles here. Um, you know, and like we haven't even gotten into the Lisa versus Mary yet on the show that we know is coming. And how much and of Lisa that. And Lisa versus Meredith about Mary. And Lisa. Yeah. I mean, like, so very fascinating dynamics. I have to ask a question, though, for you. I would I am not threading the needle on because I I am perplexed as I think many are by Meredith Marks right there's that viral clip going around of her saying that one line about her cousin do you know what I'm talking about and it's like it sounds like it's speech from outer space it was when she Meredith talking about her cousin Meredith's cousin no sorry it was Meredith talking about someone's cousin it took place when during the Italian uh, streetwear lunch and it was when Meredith took Whitney aside. It's a viral clip going around. I know you've seen it. And the listeners will have seen it. Oh, my it. God. Okay. And it's just like, it's Meredith saying a sentence. And, and her cadence of speech is so bizarre. It just sounds like Looney Tunes. And, and I bring that up because I think it's like, with Meredith, I, I truly have no grasp on her intelligence. And one thing I find Whoa. with these shows so often is I'm always like, okay, this is where... I feel it's like I always have such a strong sense of the women or or so I think I do. And Mm -hmm. wait, but you're making a shock face. Do you, you feel differently? No, I just can't believe you're referencing her. I didn't expect you to reference her intelligence. This is fascinating. I, this well, is just taking so many left turns. Keep well, going. Just, keep going. Well, yeah. And, and then also there's just like the level, like the self-awareness, right? Because, you know, you you have this bathtub scene, right? Which is like heavily staged, right? Because And then also you yeah. have this, the, you know, Commedia dell'arte where she's, she's <laughs> wasn't checking her phone during Jen's arrest. She's literally, uh-huh. you know, at this house quote unquote setting up despite the fact that there's nothing to set up and she's just away from her phone and gets this phone call her phone hasn't been blowing up not everyone in her friend group and family is calling because one of her friends and colleagues was just you know being arrested I mean like it's crazy that like but but she's doing it she's committed right 
And then mm-hmm. she's doing the bubble bath bit, but she's going to stay in the bubble bath through the scene with Mary <laughs> and into when the other women arrive. There's I know. Like, there's this deep commitment with Meredith, which is like, it's either cuckoo crazy or genius. And I don't actually have a grasp on which it is. But wait, wait, but so sorry, sorry. But the question I was going to ask you, what yeah. I'm confused about is that Meredith seems to really have this vested interest in taking down Jen and I just don't see the root of that like it's not a strong enough you know like with Bethany Jill for instance right you know like the um the blueprint there was such Mm. strong roots of their relationship so when things started to fall apart you felt it I just don't think Meredith and Jen were ever that close and then from and Meredith is going so hard against wanting us to know that she's not here for Jen. I mean, we saw it on the ice rink or whatever, that that floating frozen river or whatever, or lake. <laughs> and again now, where it's like Meredith hates Jen. And it's like, what did she do besides liking the tweets about your closeted child, which we won't get into? Um, I I don't know that there have to be strong roots. I think it's mostly, okay, if fair. we're going to do a comparative assessment, I don't see any, uh, even referencing Jill and Bethany, I die for it. I always love to think about them, but I would think more closely to like that restaurant with uh, when Kelly called Janet a cunt because I just watched a clip of it the other day and was like, oh, this is great. Uh, just great TV. Um, but when Heather Dubrow lost her fucking mind and told Kelly Dodd to leave an event that Heather was not actually the host of, I think it was like Megan's dinner or something, she said, this is low base bullshit. Like, I'm not going to stand for it. You need to leave filming right now because I don't want to be anywhere near you. And I think there's an element of that with Meredith where Meredith is sort of thriving on this in a certain way because she feels like, oh, this person, I knew this person was shitty for different reasons. And now I'm being proven true. Like I'm being proven correct that I had the right to feel weird about this person, even if it was through the lens of like them attacking my son. Like that's how I felt about her. And now it happens. So happens that maybe her assistant, you know, borrowed a clutch for a day and so maybe I had other information that truly from what we know so far has nothing to do with the reasons that Jen was being sought after for a you know wellness check-in with the FBI or whomever but it does prove that this person is not great which is something that I have said and now I have a reason to thrive in that world I think that's it's like, yeah, did they not have a basis or foundation to their friendship? Sure. Is that like true of several people in Salt Lake? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, you still can hate someone a whole lot right. without it. I guess I'm just getting a little like ev- what what a lot of people are saying about Wendy's second season with uh, mm. Potomac is how I'm feeling about Meredith's second season wow. on Salt Lake City, which is like I think Meredith has changed in ways that because everyone on that show is kind of a Looney Tune outside of Heather Gay and and Whitney, I actually think is uh, having her having a well deserved you know rise. Yeah. But there's a lot of Looney Tunes on this cast, and I think that because of that, you don't really have someone that's able to assess the landscape in in such a way because everyone is just so in the weeds. Um, mm. But I do think that um, in the case of Meredith, it's like she. I don't know. I keep thinking about the cinch of that pink 
suit that she wore when she arrived before the bubble bath. It's been on my mind, like, so much, <laughs> that suit. I mean, her fashions in general. But anyway, I just think there's, like, Meredith has definitely drank the sauce, but there's no one that's going to say it because perhaps a lot of them have. But, like, I just, I again, I just don't have a grasp on Meredith. I'm fascinated by her social media presence. I went to the bottom of her grid on Instagram, um, which took mm-hmm. a long time. It was worthwhile. Yeah. Um, but just like watching her go, literally, she has grown in height on her Instagram. Like just watching, and also just like watching her aesthetic on Instagram play. I mean, just like I'm, I was gonna say I'm fascinated by her. I wouldn't give her that title. I'm not fascinated by her, but I definitely like. There's an intrigue about her that is so unfulfilled because the show doesn't really allow anyone to look at her the way I am. Whereas, like you know. To compare like with New York For so long Bethany was that Greek chorus figure Being like saying mm-hmm. the thing A lot of us were thinking There's no I guess Heather gay to an extent But Heather really doesn't show an interest In Meredith in this sense She keeps that mm-hmm. gaze That I'm talking about More on like a Mary Which mm-hmm. hey It should be on Mary as well I guess what I'm getting at is like I think Meredith is I would lump her more in With the Mary and the Jen um, then, then people seem to feel. Wow, that is a take. I'm just gonna stare at you for a second. I Meredith I Marks totally of ag- New York City dwelling fame. <laughs> I have to say, I love the idea, the question around where is the counter to Meredith, or where is the person who's literally able to say the observational take to like share that kind of take or at least share the reality that that take exists like there's no counter to Meredith or really observation yet I would say that doesn't mean that it's like not coming we could see that a little bit through I think Heather I would say right I don't think Lisa is gonna go for it in that way but um I just, I, I, there's something about, this is so stupid, but like, it's Friday. Here we are. It's Adele Friday. Um, mm. Happy International Men's Day, by the way. Thank we you. Thank you, you so much. Thank You're you. Welcome. I feel like we're very, we don't really get our due, so that's nice to have a day. Yeah. You know what? We want to, we want to celebrate you. We want to cherish, um, we want to cherish men. So here's the day. Um, <laughs> with, Mer- with Meredith, like it's, it's just so stupid, but sh- shut the fuck up. It's, I'm saying shut up Evan to you when you haven't <laughs> even responded yet. Um, there's something about the tenor of her voice, the delight, the dry take of, there is something stupid about the fact that she stayed in that bath which isn't even in her room she literally had to go to heather gay's room to take a performative bath and i love that about her like i love that she stayed i love that she stayed in those bubbles and was probably like pruned up like nothing else and probably didn't feel great but she wanted to she made that choice it feels like i am somewhat i am appreciative of she's taking this like soap opera world view on how to respond to a co-star enemy being arrested by the feds and i find that refreshing oh agreed wait i'm trying to as i'm saying this to you i'm trying to find that clip that i'm talking about because oh of her weird voice i really don't know what that is 
oh my god it's like killing it's probably you know that yolanda fister that everyone's talking about um i'm sure it's on his gram but there's but this is speaking to exactly what you're talking about um Mm -hmm. but yeah she is fascinating i i feel like she wants a megan king edmonds moment with and jen shaw as the vicky but i just don't know if there's a there there with meredith because i don't think she has anything to do with this at all i think that like making it seem like implicating the idea that like this case, which is very much a real case. And also it's worth noting, this is not similar to the Erica thing at all. Um, Erica, the question like Erica has never been legally um, like she, hmm, actually I don't want to speak to that. I don't know. All I know is that well, Erica's never been charged. You can yes, say that. So that yes, okay, yeah. fair. Yes, Erica's just, never just been charged. Regardless of whatever, but, but she's just literally never been charged. Yes. And like Jen, is has been charged yeah so like that that's just that is what it is so i think this sort of like we we and i use the collective we we sort of like to say oh there are the housewives that have like been arrested right it's like oh mm. the lou and teresa blah, blah, blah. and it's like what teresa did if anything was ignorance right and just mm-hmm. her lack of intelligence it's not the same you you can't put these all in a box together jen really is outside of the fact that we've never seen a housewife get arrested on camera before outside of that this is a very unique situation for a lot of reasons also, I also just like find it strange watching Jen Shaw on Instagram like promoting the show is like an odd yeah. thing to me because it's like this is a bad dark moment for you and I'm, I'm, I imagine there's a legal obligation for them that's built into the contract because you know you watched Erica Jane for instance all season promoting this show that was literally a bunch of women you know calling her on her whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's just funny, not funny, it's strange watching Jen just be like, tune in to an all-new episode of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City where the feds hunt me down. It's like, okay, double tap, I guess. <laughs> right? Like it's just- I mean, it is like the darkest kind of promotional opportunity, but someone did also tell me that when she was, for, I don't know if this is accurate, and this is actually genuinely very dark, but like, when she was first arrested and she did like a, a big social media push around uh, this is not real and I'm being targeted or something that she was using the hashtag stop Asian hate in reference to her arrest, which I don't know if that's true, but if it is, is like genuinely dark. Like there are ways that Jen is, I mean, my God kind of troubled it's it's not even that she was arrested for actual crime it's like she is the the federal government has been building this enormous case case for so many years because she's at the center of it it's like she's she's at the top tier if this is a pyramid scheme she's like fucking climbing the very top like turns out she's very good at her job when she told us she's a businesswoman she wasn't lying it just so happens that it was a legal activity but like she's very powerful so this is a very to for her own like odd victimization but also lol media tour yeah it's it is wild it is uncomfortable but it's also unbelievable it's an unbelievable watch unbelievable watch unbelievable is the best word to describe it like it's just sitting there watching it it is unbelievable and then it's unbelievable as well watching mary an alleged cult leader processing this information about her frenemy being arrested by the feds like the layers of it all 
it's just there's so much going on. Mary talking about karma. I mean, Mary talking about the scene. There's a scene for this coming episode where it's Lisa talking to Meredith and Lisa attempting to tell Meredith how destructive and dangerous uh, Mary's church organization, whatever has been. And Meredith's physical guttural reaction seemingly of like, I don't want to talk about this so soon after Jen's arrest, which she absolutely did want to talk about is fascinating television fascinating that is an angle i'm literally scrolling this thing trying to find this effing clip it's gonna kill me but cut to the future where you can listen to that audio now (laughs) and this is where i put in the audio you think that her cousins are afraid of her that they have a certain level of fear amazing back to the present um evan ross cats listen i could talk to you all fucking day you know i die for you you are the doris kearns goodwin of bravo i do want you to talk to channing tatum about salt lake city please the next time that you guys connect ask him for his thoughts about mary and the church and you know is zoe kravitz watching is she excited about new jersey like Mm. there's a lot that i need you to unpack and maybe some of that will get on shut up evan season three premiering in december can you drop any hints about any like kinds of conversations that you're going to be having your perspective for the upcoming season Mm. little elevator pitch yeah, I mean, I think I'm trying to, you know, bigger and, and better is always the the goal. But I think one thing that I'm trying to explore this season is I've been more on the approach of, like, holistic. Like, let's go through your career and sort of give me some mm. of the, the highlights. And this season, I want to focus in a little bit more on, like, randomness. So, for instance, if Sarah Paulson were to pop up on the podcast, mm. I would want to do a segment in which we talk about Housewives versus taking a look at like a film or television work that she did and breaking it down. I'm trying to just find sort of like areas of interest that are not so focused on the person talking about themselves and more on a common thing that we, that we share a love for that we can like dissect together because I, I find that I learn the most about the people that I'm interested in when they're talking about a thing that they're passionate about, passionate about versus them, you know, looking back on their career. There are some people that like, I just listened to this. There's like this um, Hollywood Reporter podcast and it's all people talking about, you know, they literally go through their resume and they Mm -hmm. had Dakota Johnson on recently, who I love, um, Mm. although has made some questionable statements of recent in the press. But she was going through her career, and I just was like, I've never liked her less hearing about her talking about her process and acting. It's how I feel about Gaga right now in the House of Gucci press tour. Whereas when Dakota Johnson is making a video talking about limes, like, I'm captured. So again, I think there's just something to be said about, like, time spent talking about oneself versus time spent talking about something that you have a vested interest in. It's like why Andy's Girls works. Because it's like we find people, we collectively have a vested interest in Housewives, and so we talk about Housewives. And by proxy, and this is the great thing about your show, by proxy, we are talking about ourselves, right? Because we are, <gasps> our vantage point into these shows speaks to our worldview. Oh, my God. Is that what this is? Somebody <laughs> told me. I can't wait to listen. 
Um, Evan Ross Katz, listen, you know I die for you. Where can people follow you online? Are there any interviews pieces? I mean, you just premiered in New York Magazine. Kind of a big deal. No big deal. Mazel of the day. Um, anything? Uh, how can people follow you? Anything coming up there that we can look forward to? You can to? find me on Instagram at Evan Ross Katz. That's the only social I'm active on. And if you are interested, I have a second podcast called Drop Your Buffs, which is a survivor-themed podcast featuring Uh. recaps of the current season and interviews with iconic past guests. So if your interest in Housewives buoys you over to an interest in Survivor, because I think there are a lot of parallels between these shows, um, check out Drop Your Buffs. I love that. And I am so into Survivor. And I am like slightly new to it. I've seen many seasons, but like very disjointed. So I might need some help from you. But like just, I mean, 41, I thought 40 was unbelievable. I watched 40, I think three times. 41's Mm, doing well. 41 is good. Yeah, I totally Yeah, I don't know who anyone is. I like watch like more of the winners and I like don't know who anyone is. Yep, tell me. There are two new seasons, or excuse me, two old seasons that just dropped newly on Netflix. And can I just advise anyone that is looking for a starter season of Survivor, please do not watch season 16, one of the two seasons that dropped on Netflix as your first season. Because it is Don't watch it. No, it is my favorite season. It is a half all-star season and there's too much necessary context. And also to begin with the best ever, I feel like is such a failed pursuit. It's like earn your way to season 16. It's so much more worth it when you know the all-star returnees. And I just, I just, I hear about, because so many people are like, whenever they're giving advice about where to start with Survivor, people always like mention heroes versus villains or Micronesia, these big, big Mm -hmm. braggadocious seasons. Watch both of those. Yep. And they're iconic, but don't start with them. I think I maybe started with them. I, I bet a lot of people do. I'm, I, no, I'm not. I'm not clocking anyone for it's doing it. It's hard though because then you're I like, how it. do I work my way up? Also, sidebar, you know what I just got into that I'm like very into, and what? I can't believe it because I always made fun of it in my head. Amazing race. I get it. I get it. I get it. Which I was like, I I thought this was a joke, and then I'm like, oh no, this is like genuinely very heartwarming and wonderful, and like the Harlem Globetrotter team, I'm like very invested in their lives, and I've like googled them and Instagram and whatever, and I like just love them to bits, and like there's a contestant that I actually really enjoyed that seemed like he was a terrible person. He just recently passed away, Mm. so sad. So I need to find out some stuff there because I've been like hunting down his wife's like company and like trying to anyway well you're an expert researcher so i know you'll get to the bottom of it wait real quick though housewives ultimate girls trip how how deep in are you dead obsessed uh doing a patreon episode that's going up this weekend um obsessed with it can't get enough uh cannot believe how wrong i was thought it was gonna be terrible it's uh season the episode four of girls trip was one of the best episodes of the year and i think this was uh it's been a flawless execution so far wonderful fab okay i'm only one episode in but you got me super excited to continue on you're gonna love it and episode four is like chef's kiss honestly Honestly, it's it's truly chef's kiss. Speaking of chef's kiss, guys, if you're not a Patreon supporter, my God, what are you doing with your life? Uh, we're doing an OG of the AG and People's People's Couch level sass giving tonight, the 20th, November 20th. It's a Saturday. And at 6 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, you can join me and a couple of your fellow sassies on Zoom. So best way to level up and join and get those exclusive episodes, including as many Satchel Spectacular is at patreon.com slash Andy's girls. Follow me on Instagram. Gonna post something stupid for International Men's Day as I do. Happy Adele Day. I'm I'm saving it for a little walk I'm gonna take mm. since we're 
we're at the point of saying goodbye, Evan Ross Cass. Oh. When am I gonna? When are we gonna talk again? Can I like schedule? And- well, how about once we have the new girls in rotation? So once we get Miami, Jersey, OC. Let's yeah. revisit because, as I said, I'm a little negative on those three for right now. And I would, I as always, I love to be proven wrong. And so, hopefully, these three are going to come out the gate, swing it, and I'm going to look like Boo Boo the Fool. I mean, right or wrong, at least we'll have something to discuss. Exactly. And that's where we are. That's the beauty of Bravo. Amen. And that's the beauty of us. Guys, I hope you are all staying safe, staying sane, getting vaccinated if you can. And we will talk to you soon. Bye bye. 